by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to N17 Women Podcast, the only podcast about WSL side Tottenham Hotspur women exclusively. This is Abby hosting you all today, and I have the pleasure of hosting all of our best results this year, apparently, because I got Brighton, and now I got... um, you know, the worst staying up pod. So that's fun and cool and slightly makes up for the fact that I also did the sacking pod and a couple of the losses, but lucky me. How are the rest of you guys? Good week, huh? Yeah, just been feeling really happy ever since. Well, for some reason, the world is easier. Just a sense of relief, isn't it? And uh, to to be where we are. And, and now I guess a sense of uh, uh, intrigue even more about next, uh, well, about the summer and next season, We've got some answers to those questions uh, if, in terms of what's going to happen, or, or you know, what are uh, what are our what's our pitch going to be, and now we can wait and see what does happen. Yeah, I think we had started to feel like there were some silver linings coming out of our recent games, and now it's like, you know, it's all going to count for something. We stayed up. We can really be, I think, somewhat excited about next season, and, and at least hopeful. So I agree with, I think Celine said in her post-game comments that it was like a weight had been lifted off our shoulders and 100%. It's such a good feeling. Did she really say that? Because that's exactly how I feel. I just, it, I, it was really weighing on me. I was like freaking like out here having stress dreams, like three days before the games. Life was rough. I feel like I keep having to like remind myself that all we did was avoid relegation because I feel like I've been walking around buoyed up like we won a cup final or something and really we just avoided relegation and like played pretty well in the game which it's that thing isn't it like it was something to play for like it mattered and it's more exciting to (laughs) escape relegation than it is to sort of you know trundle our way to mid-table losing a few games along the way I mean yes we had an objectively worse season this year than last season but it's ending on more of an up because that final thing didn't happen. Considering yeah. how the season started, this was a victory in my opinion. Yeah. And like just thinking back to the the end of season ennui of last year, where we were just like dropping points after points and injuries were piling up and everything was like pretty much downhill after that one result. It's just so, it's so nice. <laughs> I feel, I'm feeling things. But I'll tell you what, I was not feeling good before the game. I don't know how you all felt. Uh, I was I was saying extremely negative stuff about our team in the chat. How about you guys? Well, even when I saw the lineup for this game, I was I, I felt a little bit of trepidation and you know, just knowing that we had had games where we in theory should have been able to do well and had just underperformed. I was honestly scared of that happening again. But I think it's a credit to the whole team and to Vicky Jepsen that they they all showed up like to a player. But yes, I definitely felt your stress going into the game. Yeah. And well, bef- before we get to Rachel and Sean, I'll just quickly revisit that lineup for the record. It was so we had Becky Spencer and goal again. We had Amy Turner and Molly Bardship at center back with Ash and Karis outside of them. 
then we had Angerad and Drew in midfield. Uh, Evelina seemed to be in sort of the more for- further forward role with Celine and Rosella on the wings. And then, of course, Bething went up top. I woke up right before the lineup dropped, took one look at that and was like, oh, no, I literally don't even know what I was so upset about in hindsight. I think I was just upset in general. What did you guys think? Well, I I think it it did feel worrying because there were players who, especially against Reading, I mean, we have to remember back, there was that total chaos of Amy Turner and Becky Spencer in the reverse fixture where we went down 1-0 we don't have a good record of some of these players literally playing against Reading. And Tinny had had a really good game last week. I'd had the chance to ask Vicky Jepson if she tried to give them 50% each of game time. And she'd said, no, she chooses the best player for the game. And yeah, like we look like we're going to end up with exactly 50% for each of our keepers at the end of this season. Cause we've now got Becky on 10 games and Tinny on 11. You know, it was, having Shalina starting on the bench when we thought we'd got back to that sort of Shalina Molly partnership in the center of defense, which we knew had worked last season and we've missed for a while this season. So there were a bunch of things. Um, Roz is always Roz and can be good, but also doesn't always have that follow through. And so there were lots of reasons why I think people were nervous about this starting lineup, specifically in terms of its defensive capacity and yeah, um, I shared that nervousness. I wasn't, I think we were, I was feeling optimistic that we would beat Reading, but I wasn't that excited about the lineup. Yeah, I think after the previous game where we'd seen some changes to the lineup that got us excited, uh, we then went back to, oh, we're back to this lineup again, which is kind of the lineup you would have expected before, I think. Um, and you know, when you've got players like Kit coming back from injury and you've got Rhea Percival available and Jess Naz, it was a bit disappointing not to see any of those being started. Uh, I think much as we love Becky, you know, Tinny had had a great game and why would you swap her out in, in this situation? I don't know, um, apart from the, you know, obviously some sort of reason. Um, then following on from the men's game, which had just, you know, started really well and gone on to be, another bit of a, a mess uh, uh, and just the fact that we've kind of had every result against Reading this season so you didn't know what was going to happen it um, it did feel like a bit like uh, I guess by that point I was just a bit like well what will be will be um, just let's give it a go and see and all we need to do is is get the one goal and uh, and luckily we did a bit better than that. And I think we were all kind of taken aback by the lineup because we had all spent the days prior talking on Twitter and on our blogs about what our ideal lineup would be. And like Sean said, you know, having all these players back, we kind of expected them to to be starting every game from this point on. So there was just that dissonance of like our expectations and the reality. But as I said, I think that they kind of proved us wrong in a way and in a positive way. I mean, I, I don't think it was... That's surprising. Like I say, I think that Vicky has played a what she calls a 4-3-3, but she plays with Evelina very high. So it sometimes looks more like a 4-2-4 or a 4-4-2, depending on which way you want to where you want to think the wingers are. Um so in some senses that hasn't changed. And as I'd, I think I said in the last pod, she does tend to have one of either Ros or Jess. 
and then one of Selene or Manor on the other side. So she very rarely has both Selena Manor and she very rarely has Jess and Roz. She just doesn't do that. And so you knew in a way that it was going to be one or other of those, especially if Ash was going to be playing at um, right back. And we've seen that she likes Ash at right back at the moment. And so it wasn't that surprising other than I think the Tinny and Shalina bits especially were more surprising. Yeah. And I think for me, the big one was like, I had some thoughts in my head around like Angarad, Drew and Evelina as the midfield three. And I was like individually like happy to see them all on the pitch for one reason or another. But like, especially given having more midfield options, I, I think that was I wasn't like surprised she didn't change it up. But I also wouldn't have been surprised if she had done it. And it took me a minute to remember that we are now playing Evelina as the farthest forward one instead of Drew, which I think has been a huge difference. Unlocking 10 Evelina has been like a very interesting and wild turn to the end of the season. So I think when I first saw it, I was thinking that it was not going to be that because I just forgot that we do that now. It's fair to say the the players really did prove us wrong, but I, I think like... I don't think we're remiss for not expecting it to happen. I think there have been a few games where we really needed to get it done this season against not so good teams like Leicester and Brighton, who like granted do have better managers now, but you know, we expected or maybe hoped the team would like come out and like show who they really were. And instead we came away with like the world's worst one nil win. And then like a somewhat disappointing two, two draw. And I was just thinking like, whatever happens, it's going to be uncomfortable. And then it, it really kind of wasn't, I think it was maybe only uncomfortable for like, how long would you guys say like until the first goal or a little bit longer? I think there were bursts. So it was a little bit uncomfortable in periods before the first goal. Well, actually there was a really good period of dominance at the start of the game. And I guess that's the thing that we did really differently. We've had bad starts against Reading in the past. And I guess, especially around the midfield, And so I was worried because in previous games, Reading have seemed just stronger and fitter than us in the midfield. And we've had to sort of play a lot, sort of passing it around the back. And this game started, and I think like the first 10 minutes, it hardly got out of, you know, our attacking half. And we were constantly able to, I think, we a and this is the thing I love about Evelina playing as the number 10 is her pressing. When she's in the team, we press. And when she isn't, we press much less. And the ball was not getting really across the halfway line most of the time because she was pressing, Beth was pressing, and then at the sides, Ros and Celine, and then Drew and Angerad were able to sort of mop things up if it was getting back that far. So I felt like really confident in the way we started in the fact that the midfield wasn't getting that sort of dominance that Reading had had last time. And it did feel like we were a different team and our passing was slicker. We were finding each other because I remember we just ranted and raved about how terrible our passing was after that game we played away at Reading. It was just one of those, it was one of those first times before everything, when everything started going wrong, that we realized that we just didn't seem to know where each other were. And this was the opposite of that. And so that gave me confidence, but I don't think it was a lock until really the third goal, because, you know, I always stay nervous and there was, and Reading were better in, well, the difference felt less in some of the second half, at least. Let's talk about that that first goal. Really nice one with a with a set piece. Um, and we found out a little bit more later, but was off a corner. 
uh, and the corner got played back to Molly, who put in like the world's best cross ever. Uh, and Beth just sort of nodded it into the corner just like that. Really, really, really nice. Really good to see. So I think later we learned that, and somebody correct me on this, but we, our goalkeeping coach has apparently been working with us on set pieces. What do you guys make of that? Well, I was just delighted first off that we got the opening goal. It it kind of gave me flashbacks to the Brighton game really early in the season when Molly had just shot from that position. Uh, but instead this time she was provider and you can count on Beth to make the perfect run and evade her, her defender. So she did that perfectly. It was, I feel like it was kind of a tricky angle too, because the, it, it looked to me like the keeper really had a good chance of saving that, but she just got it perfectly placed. And to the point where I was like, did that go in? I wasn't sure at first. <laughs> um, it, it seems like defending from set pieces is still a huge issue for us, but we've had quite a bit of joy from actually scoring from them this season. So that's a reassuring sign that at least on one end, we're, we're getting it together. And I think, you know, Molly has, has proven to be pretty, um, pretty good for us in those kind of situations. She's good at putting the ball exactly where she wants to put the ball. And she's just been getting better and better this season. Then uh, I know we've had a few conversations about players who should be playing for England, but I don't think she's far away from that at the moment in those kind of calls. And and I think we'll talk more about her, her performance it was just the start for her in that game of, of just picking out that perfect ball, you know, great, um, obviously worked on Evelina to her. Nobody was anywhere near her and she was just able to pick out that pass right bang onto the back post. I mean, great. And, you know, just so good to be getting goals, which are involving, you know, things that you've been doing on the training ground. I think that kind of builds confidence if something you've been doing in training works and then, uh, you know, and you know Beth on the end of it but not just Beth involved in the goal and other people as well so yeah really great start and as you say Caroline really did evoke that kind of Brighton game because it was a similar kind of Molly with a great um it was almost like a free kick because she was standing there with nobody anywhere near her so it did kind of evoke that kind of memory as well. I felt like there's probably somebody on a Reading podcast going how can you give Beth England space and the box for a header on a corner, just like we would say if it was like Rachel Daly or Khadija Bunny Shaw or any of those things. Because um, it did feel a bit like that, didn't it? it was, she seemed like she had quite a lot of space. She had one person on her who she was able to get rounds. And yes, it was a great ball. And it was probably more confusing because it was the second ball. But at the same time, I just kind of could imagine their goalkeeping coach just being like, what happened? Right. And like they've played us enough times that they should know this season alone that Molly Bardtrip is fully capable of doing that. Right. So it's like I'm, I'm suddenly having flashbacks of conceding goals on a corner against like Arsenal or something and going like, oh, yeah, well, like, you know, Katie McCabe is always sitting right there and that whole like we know these things like they probably are also like sitting there going like like why weren't they marking the short corner like that that center back has a great foot like I don't know wait did did Molly play for Reading or was it Birmingham City no she played for Reading yeah so they some of them know her (laughs) um I mean the one thing we will have to grant them is that the three other times we played them this season Beth wasn't in our team so maybe that just shocked them they forgot she was playing for us that's true I do think there's a lot to be said for that like the Beth and Evelina duo is like so confusing on camera. And I love to joke that like 
the whole bit is that is that you don't know which one to mark because they both look so similar. And the joke is that you have to actually mark both of them because they can both put it away. But I don't know. It was it was nice, whatever, whatever it was. I don't know if it was that corner in particular, but I was starting to think around that time, as Rachel said before, that our pressing was looking really good. And I thought it was like an interesting approach for us to press red in that high because we haven't been pressing teams that high. Part of it's because the teams we've been playing haven't been as good. I don't think we pressed red in that high last time we played them. And I just thought it worked. The whole thing worked really well and was like super organized. And I, I loved to see it. And I thought it was one of many things that worked great today, you know? I mean, we have to remember that Reading are a side who, by this point, even by the start of the game, will probably pretty um, down and pretty in a difficult position because they knew their last game of the season was going to be Chelsea. They they know that that's, you know, if, if they mess up in this game, then basically they've got to get a result against Chelsea, which is where they're at now. So it... it the, they were not the best opposition to be facing, but that, as we've said, that doesn't always stop us from <laughs> not playing so well. So um, we have to be—I think we have to be careful about not going too far overboard. It was—I know certainly once the second goal had gone in, you could see the heads drop, and, and Reading really were not at the races from that point on. Uh, but you know, from our confidence perspective, what we've got to do now is just build on it in the last game. Yeah, and I think I think there's a lot to build on as well. Like we're about to come on to the second goal, which I think is like, that's one of the biggest for me where I'm like, yes, it's a positive. However, Reading are, we're like really, you know, not present in midfield. So I'm hesitating to say too much that it's a sign of like beautiful, decisive passing, but it is at least the start. Uh, does anyone want to go ahead and talk about that second goal? Should I mean, we have a go? Just to, I guess just to say again, to reiterate that last time we played Reading, they dominated us in midfield. So on the one hand, yes, they're not a great team, but they're actually where they are best and strongest is probably midfield or it has been over the season. And so the fact that we were finding that much space is a massive change. And because it was, you know, obviously Beth was part of that build up play for Celine's goal, but we can't put it down to Beth because it was everyone. And if we look at where the passes went, it included Ash, obviously Angrad had a massive part, but Drew and Beth were involved. And then we saw Evelina playing the last ball through to Celine, who you know, then took the goal, you know, took it on and, you know, had lovely shots. Um, you know, she still had work to do. So it was one of those ones where you just saw players seeming to know where each other was going to be. And it was one, you know, one touch passing. It was everyone was looking progressive. Everybody was trying to go forward. And also, if you look at what Angered do, did, she was like running, you know, she was going, getting forward. So I think she had three touches in the build up in sort of, you know, increasingly forward positions. And we haven't seen that. You know, that was what we saw from her, I think, over the summer when we were all really kind of excited about Angered. And we haven't seen her being that incisive. We haven't seen her being that accurate in her passing or creative. And it's obviously to do with that familiarity they all seem to now have, which they just really haven't all season and I know Vicky Jepson said that one of the things that she said when she took over was that they were going to play the same shape, the same formation for all the rest of the games. And she has moved players around a little bit. So Evelina especially has sometimes played further back. But like Angered and Drew have only ever played in that that sort of like, you know, defensive midfield, holding midfield role. Um, 
the wide players are pretty much like I say there's always a fast one and there's always a sort of more technical one there's a kind of rhythm to how that she sets up that I guess is seeming to pay off now in terms of where players are and where they think other people are yeah I mean I think a big part of our problem this season has been we brought in a whole load of players as we often do uh you know in the off season and then we had to mix that all those new players with the injuries that we were having and the lack of game time that people seem to be on you know even players who weren't officially injured were on limited minutes and things and so there really has been a difficulty I think the whole season in getting that familiarity with the team and getting them to know who they where they're playing and and who's playing where so I really think it's a sensible decision from Vicky to to focus on that um, as a as a basic starting block for getting the team to be starting to, to be playing better and working together, um, and it's one of my concerns around the the tra- summer transfer market is I think we need to be careful about not bringing in an awful lot of people again because we know that we've got a good core group of players and we've got players to reintegrate from injury and things, so we've still got some of that to do. But I do think that that's been a great thing that Vicky's done and it, it does seem to have worked whatever they've been doing on the training ground it came together in this game I'm a little bit cautious in that assessment because we've seen that happen in games before and then the next game us go back to being <laughs> do, do they know each other so I want to see it happen again in the West Ham game but I'm cautiously optimistic yeah I think that comment from Vicky about sticking to the four three three is so interesting because, you know, the last few weeks on the pod, we've talked about appreciating that she had finally started to make some tweaks. Um, Cause I think as a spectator, it really did not come across as being such a consistent formation. It was a lot more fluid than that in practice. So perhaps the focus in training has really just been more on their patterns of play and getting those established and like building up the chemistry between, you know, the teammates Um, that's the impression that I get because we saw that she has been more willing in past games to make some of those like proactive substitutions. And once those players come in, it seems like they have a better idea of, you know, where they're supposed to be than we saw earlier in the season. So for example, when, when Kit came in at halftime, you know, it was like seamless. So I I don't think it's quite as like simple as she's portraying it to the media, um, but that's okay. Like as long as it's it's working in practice. Yeah, and I'll just that this all makes me think. Like while you were talking, I went ahead and looked back at our lineup from when we played Reading in December and lost one nil. Um, and so yeah, to to the point earlier about like the midfield being our midfield was more dominant this time. Like we actually had the same exact three players and so did Reading was um, yeah. Angarad, Drew and Evelina for us. And then I, I'm sure Google is wrong about this, but Van Havermat, Trollsgaard and Primer for Reading, which I know were all on the pitch, whether or not they were all in the center of the pitch is another matter, but that's okay. Um, but what really stood out to me uh, in light of all this, like we're sticking with a formation, everybody knows their role the front three that we played against Reading in December absolutely shocked me. Like I knew we were in dire straits, but I had kind of forgotten they were this bad. It was, um, it was Roz up top and then Ash and Jess on the wings. Yeah. So thinking about just like having this like, like stricter formation where everyone knows their roles and then like not one, but two strikers 
able to play in that spot today is really just like, man, it's so nice, isn't it? But also, I think back in that game, we had Drew in the number 10 role. And so, again, you know, she... Drew's got a lot of qualities and she obviously created some and she scored a bit at the start of the season, but she doesn't do pressing. She doesn't do any of that harrying or any of that stuff. And so it just meant that the ball was kind of just going back, you know, so fast every time we lost control. Yeah. And it's like the the wings were pretty rough as well, because on one side it was like, I remember this because I'm pretty sure this was like Ash and Isnita on one side and then Jess and Amy Turner on the other side. And I don't feel that like either wing was like particularly defensively strong in that game, despite the, the, the only goal coming from the horrible own goal. I'm pretty sure that was the game that Karis came on. And so did Chioma. And they actually changed the game. I mean, we didn't score, but they were the, that was like so far back in the day that they were the bright spark coming in to change the game. You're right. It was that game. So yeah, at halftime, Kit came on for Evelina. Um, And yeah, as you said, it it was slotted in seamlessly. So yeah, how'd you guys feel about that second half? I think, I mean, one of the reasons I think Evelina came off is she was getting a little battered and bruised. So she had a, nosebleed she by the time she came off she'd already changed her boots and her top so she'd definitely been in the wars so it probably was both to sort of change what was happening but also to give her a bit of a rest given that we were two nil up and there was opportunity to do that um yeah I think uh certainly protect Evelina a little bit change it up she does seem to be a bit of a draw at the moment for other teams to just kind of go into so um, good to give her that that break. Uh, and, and now that we've got other options with players that we want to be giving some minutes towards as well, you know, a great opportunity. And, I mean, Kit got her goal. So, you know, that's great. I mean, we've been asking for Kit to get a goal since she came back, you know, just to, you know, put that finishing touch to her comeback. And she did that. And uh, she looked pretty happy to have done so. I mean, we, we didn't talk about um, Celine's celebration. I think we'd also need to mention Celine's celebration for her goal because that made a lot of us very happy um, looking back at it and, you know, that kind of pointing at the badge. And, and then after the game, her and Kit both kind of joining in with that kind of celebration actually is what you like to see with new players particularly, but with any player, you know, actually fully appreciating doing it for the club and and, and also by definition doing it for the fans and those kind of things so seeming to be happy and at the club and that's what you want to see and with Celine particularly I think we're all excited to see the future of Celine at the club and if she is loving the club and feeling like a part of the club that's absolutely what we want to see so um yeah great to see Kit get a goal and, and be back on the score sheet and you know that that kind of camaraderie with the with the new players as well. See I thought you were going to say like you love Celine Strutt because that's what made me just like absolutely laugh like the badge thing I you know it's nice and everything but I'm not a big you know you love the badge thing I remember um Asawa Kotu when he used to sort of be critical of that um and I think I'm more on that side but I do love her strut and her joy of being there and just the enjoyment that she took was just a pleasure and similarly then Kit doing the same dance so it's obviously this thing that they've all been just you know, doing in training. So that was amazing. Love both of those. Yeah, I I really loved it from Kit because to me, it was kind of like a, you know, 
look at my muscles, look how strong I am. And that feels really kind of symbolic since she just came back from like a horrible injury and she's building her strength back. So yeah, that I was like clapping with delight when that happened. Oh, I was just going to say, I wanted to go back quickly to the third goal though. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, as usual, there were really mixed responses to Rosella's performance, which I get because like I too was very frustrated with her lack of end product because she had quite a few chances like very early on in the first half that, you know, could have put us ahead more quickly. But I, when I was watching the highlights in preparation for doing the pod today, I noticed that her pressing was really what started that third goal. Um, Cause she put the pressure on that Reading defender who hit the horrible back pass that Beth was able to intercept and then, you know, have her one-on-one with the keeper, you know, it's, you want Roz to get more, times on the score sheet whether it's like a goal or an assist but I do think she sometimes gets overlooked for some of the other things that she does you know in the build-up to goals that are really important I mean she was pressing but that wasn't the start of that that was you know she was the third person to press on that it was I mean it was all of the team pressing she did good with the pressing she ran fast she had lots of opportunities you know, I think she's a talented player and I think she doesn't look up or have awareness of where other players are. So I think that all of those things are true. And she had a decent game. She worked hard. I think it was a, I, I liked the choice of her there in the end. I didn't when I saw the score sheet, but I will say that like, I think that having Roz consistently beat you down the wing must be like demoralizing and the player she was going up against like made a number of mistakes throughout the game resulted in goals like the back pass like giving up corners for no reason and stuff like that and I think like I think that her energy and just like her ability to get in behind even though like we knew she probably wasn't going to do much with some of those spaces that she found like I think it I think it did have like a large impact she still continues to stymie me in a lot of ways okay I'll give you that she did I I think you're right there she did I probably was deflating people she used up a lot of their energy and she took their focus and that's good and that created spaces for other players and you know I also think that you could see that she other players were able to find her better so and I just want to like give a mass like we didn't because we've got to the end of the first half so I guess Big shout out to Evelina, who every single game I am more impressed with things like her passing and her ability to progress the ball in creative ways, which is not something we really thought she had in her wheelhouse. I remember at the start of this season, we were talking about her as being like high energy, but not especially good in terms of passing. And I now think she's got a really nice vision and I'm just so excited you think about she's 24 like she's got so much scope to grow into a really great player so just wanted to sort of highlight because she was finding Roz multiple times um Drew was as well and again I think that's that thing is a rhythm people are seeing where players are and so yeah Roz is definitely part of that yeah I think so and I you know I liked it I like to see her because she's one of the players who up who's up for renewal or not right so happy to see her have a run out at home at the end of the season where she may not be around next season you know we just don't know yet so 
I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a better Raw's performance than the ones we've seen since like right after she came back from international break. It was very funny to see people who were attending or even watching their first game whatsoever go from being like, oh my God, who is that? Who is that player? Number 23, is she really good to being like, oh, okay. So she has like not a whole lot of end product there, like over the course of the game. Yeah, no, there was definitely people sitting behind me who were going through that transition and, you know, revelation, firstly, the the joy and then the disappointment. But she, you're right. I think she's stronger as well, like physically stronger. She doesn't seem to be shoved off the ball quite so easily, but maybe again, that's, we've said this so many times that she's better when she's playing in space and she had a lot of space this game. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I wanted to bring up in general. I think we, we look stronger all over the pitch, even at the end of the game. Part of that, I think, is Vicky utilizing all of her subs. So we we literally had, you know, fresh energy, fresh legs on the pitch. We got to see Jess Naz make another appearance. Uh, Rhea Percival getting more minutes, which was important. Um, Mona Iwabuchi, who knows how many more times we might see her because she could be, you know, leaving after her loan. And Nikki finally got some minutes. Of course, not very many as we're used to, but. Yeah, it, it's just good to see, like, utilizing the full squad and getting them in the, the positions that they're best suited to. That is quite the set of quality subs, if you think about it. Yeah, I think it was really exciting. I mean, that was what I was most excited about for this game, is Vicky Jepsen had used five subs against Manchester United, and it was something that Rianne Skinner pretty much never did. So I was quite excited that, A, we had a coach who was a, willing to use five subs, and I guess that in this game, she was going to use them more strategically because in the Man United game, we knew that she was saving players and there were issues still going on. And this game, you know, she said in advance that she had 12 players who were fit. She could only have 11 players, um, you know, on bench. I mean, sorry, the full squad was fit. She could only have an extra 11 players on the bench. And so there were actually players who missed out. I'm assuming that's Chioma or I don't know who else that could have been. And that was... You know, that was really exciting that we she could look to the bench and there were players who could do new things. And like you said, Kit scored. Other players came on and at least held their own and, you know, created new problems. That's great. We have not been at that point all season. Well, we've not been at that point for two seasons, but, you know, for a season and a half, basically, because last season we were very thin on the ground on the bench as well. And, I, you know, I think Rianne did get a lot of criticism for that. But part of the problem was, you know, in, in numerous games, she only had really kind of uh, reserve team players on the bench. Uh, so it's, it is so nice to see, you know, we're finally getting to see that that squad that we've been building is actually a strong squad. And I do think this is where next season, you know, we've, we've got a lot to be hopeful for because actually we are starting to see how that squad that we thought we had at the beginning of this season is actually coming together. I agree. I've been finding myself thinking that, like, you know, even though we were more optimistic about the upcoming season at the end of the last one, we just finished in fifth. We were like, we need to cement our status as best of the rest. Some journalists were like predicting us for Champions League spots, which, you know, we always knew was optimistic. So even that part was, even though that part was better, I think I felt worse about the state of our squad um than I do now and of course we haven't heard who's leaving and who's resigning we haven't heard of any like you know we're getting people stolen from us or people leaving to go pursue their architecture careers or anything like that yet 
But as of this moment right now, I feel way better about our squad and the amount of changes we need to make to it in the upcoming year than I did at this time last year. And I am actually really surprised that I feel that way, given how the season has gone. So let me ask you a question on that note, then just for fun. This game was bad news for betting. Uh, They are like 95% chance to be relegated, they'd have to beat Chelsea to not get relegated. And that would be bad. And so they're almost definitely going down. And I'm guessing that some of those players are going to want to stay in the WSL. So who would you guys pick off the top of your head from Reading? I mean, Deanne Rose is the obvious, but I guess Van Havermark. She's scored. I think she scored against us last time as well. She's. I feel like she's a bit of a nemesis, and therefore we should get her. I love her. Oh, she's not even as old as I thought. I thought she was like thirty-five. She's thirty-one. I mean, she's not my top pick. It's just like you're asking me to pick someone from Reading. I I just don't have like strong feelings about any of their players, to be honest. So I I feel like we kind of need to be hopefully looking for a bit higher of a standard of player because. I don't want to be disappointed again after next transfer window. (laughs) No, I'm definitely with you on that one. And when I'm thinking of players that I would like to transfer in, uh, most of them are not on Reading. I think a few names from Reading who I would not mind having in the squad is Eichland. Um, You know, might as well get another potentially good winger in there. Faye Bryson, who has not been good for Reading, but was very good for Bristol City before she joined Reading. And we could use another fullback. And she's sort of in the Ash Neville kind of mold of like, she's not going to get you that much passing, but she will dribble and she will tackle. And she is, you know, good at getting goals and assists. So those are the two that stand out to me. Any wing uh, is the place we need people the least, but maybe I'm... It depends on who we who stays and who goes, though, to me. I think, like, I think we could probably use, like, so if Roz goes, I think we need one more to fill out the squad. I guess it also depends where, what the decision is about Ash, because obviously we're going to still have Celine and Jess. We do need here. No, I think that's a good point. I think um, it'll be really interesting to get into that more when we do a sort of like end of season transfers wish list question in a few weeks, you know? Indeed. We might even know something by then. So, hey. Hopefully. I mean, I feel like it's been kept really quiet just because, you know, we we were maybe going to be relegated. <laughs> so maybe now we'll start getting some news. Usually pretty quiet, to be fair. Um, they're usually pretty crap about this kind of time of the season that usually is very last minute and suddenly it all comes out that they've all already signed their contract two months ago um but yes this season with the additional will we won't we is as added to the confusion so any final thoughts on the betting game other than well we should probably talk about how the the double header went right and do we want to talk about the conceding the goal first, or are we just going to pretend oh, yeah. we only scored? I'm happy to. No, what do you mean? We kept it. We kept a clean sheet. <laughs> I mean, last- we conceded from a set piece. That's like the least surprising part of this game. I, I'm ha- I'm content to just move swiftly on. <laughs> I mean, we we did pretty well. From they had a lot of corners, and we were doing really well. And then this one was just. It felt like concentration lapsed. Everyone was feeling like, we're 4-0, who cares? So whatever minute it was, which is understandable. Right, and like, Justine Van Havermaet is really tall. She's like six foot one. So yeah, and she's got like hops as well. 
I'm not, I, you know, I know they all would have really liked to keep the clean sheet as would have I, I think when the goal happened, it ended up being not that demoralizing in the end. And, you know, the more I look at her height and that goal, the more I think you're right. And that maybe we should just sign her and bring her on for the last 10 minutes of every game or something like that. Well, we kind of did that with Nikki, but we didn't, I don't think we even got a corner while she was on the pitch. Yeah. And we have never actually figured out whether Nikki can do attacking headers. That was a big question we had at when we signed her. She doesn't do that. Like none of the goals she scores are with her head, despite being six feet tall. No, because she's actually, she's much better with her. It's that whole, it's the Peter Crouch thing, isn't it? Where everyone thought he should do headers, but he was better with his feet. You know, same with Nikki. I think she's, she likes the ball to feet. Although she can obviously bring it down. We just don't know if she, yeah, like you say, attacking headers doesn't seem to be massively her thing. Instantly predicting she's going to score one from against West Ham. So glad we covered that. <laughs> All right. Let's let's actually talk about the double header, though. Um, I think I'll mostly leave it to you guys who were, who were in the stadium. Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it wasn't the disaster we feared it could be. But I think a lot of that was... Uh, after the third goal went in in the men's game, a lot of people left. So I think um, it kind of made the minds up. You know, a lot of the people who might have been wanting to cause trouble just were had enough and went. So I think there was it. It was hard work getting into the stadium, as I understand. It. If you hadn't been there for the men's game, it did seem to be quite hard work getting in against the sea of people leaving, who were probably leaving a little bit earlier than uh, people were anticipating. That wasn't great. But actually, in terms of what actually have I, I like the fact that actually that we weren't all in one stand and that actually people went all the way around because from a sound perspective I think that really helped and really improved things it, it wasn't dead on one side of the stadium and I think from what I understand lots of people were were hearing you know the, the few people that did stay who hadn't seen a women's game before did enjoy it my fear of course is that there's no momentum now for the next game and and that's where I would have liked to see it done in a slightly different way. But I think it it wasn't it wasn't a terrible thing. It wasn't handled very well before the game, but um, in the end, it was all good. Yeah, like unlike Sean, I'm not a season ticket holder to the men's, but I went to this game so that I could experience the full joy of a double header. And I have to say, yeah, didn't love the first half of my double header. And the atmosphere was really toxic at that point. And you know, people were you know it was booing and really obviously um you know I know Sean says there's always loud music in the stadium but they it was really you know they didn't do the same for the women's team in that they turned on the music as soon as the game finished to just drown out really clear boos and leave out chants and things like that I guess the good thing about the game being so terrible and there being so much sort of antagonism was that there was a protest outside and so people left like people who were going to be really angry about things left and so it meant that the people who remained in the stadium were at least sort of a little bit more low-key a little bit more sort of oh well we'll just see what's going on here etc and I think that this was what the one thing that made it work was that the the game was good fun like if you've just sat through a you know going one goal up and then going three one down and then you see a team dominating and winning, looking to win, you know, easily 4-1, playing some nice football, all those things. The people who were sitting near me who had not seen the women before were just happy to watch a Spurs team playing well and winning. And, you know, that actually is probably the biggest win. 
so the risk was that the sort of negativity in the atmosphere would make it more difficult for the women and or that you know that would sort of like carry over and I think that in a way the women's team won by playing well I don't necessarily know that that means it's a win for double headers although like Sean I really liked everybody being spread out around the whole stadium and if there's a way to do that in other games at the stadium whether they're double headers or not I am assuming it's more expensive because you have to open more stands and you have to like clean more areas and all of those things but it definitely created a better atmosphere than having everyone crowded in one area. And I'm guessing if you're watching on TV, you actually saw human beings rather than just empty stands. And that's better. Yeah, for sure. I think like the empty stands were still, I mean, they still look funny on TV, like even just like sparsely pop- populated stands, but like it, it is what it is. We, we already know about that. I loved getting to hear some of my like, Spurs men, internet friends who stayed for the game or watched the game for the first time get to discover Kit Graham. Uh, they loved her. <laughs> they absolutely loved her and and a couple other players as well. It was nice like to, to see other people noticing players that we know can be good rather than just like the negative the negativity that's been around the team. I still just feel a little let down though by the fact that so many fans did leave because at the end of the day, like they made a choice to not stay for the second game. And of course there's going to be people for whom like it's logistically not possible for them to be at a stadium that long um, for various reasons. But it, it just bums me out that we talk about having the one club and it just doesn't play out that way. In reality, I think there's a lot of fans who are really, missing an opportunity to expand their experience of Tottenham fandom and embrace the women's team. And they just haven't done that. And of course, a lot of that comes down to marketing from the team being really poor. I think we've talked about that many times, especially leading up to this double header fans, not having a full picture of what the the stakes were for this game. You know, you, you do have to give people a reason to want to embrace the team but I felt disappointed just seeing how many people left. And I don't think it's really an excuse to say, well, the men's team was so bad. Everyone was in a bad mood. Like that's a crappy attitude to have. Like at the end of the day, you've got to get behind the team. I do think also we were let down um, again by the the travel situation on the day, because actually um, a lot of the trains weren't running past sort of five o'clock because there's an um, overtime ban. So um, on a Saturday evening, there weren't a lot of trains about. So luckily, somebody mentioned it. Somebody tweeted about it before on the, the day before. So I quickly changed my plans and drove up to the bottom of the tube map. And um, but otherwise, it was going to be a you know, it, I would have been there no matter what. But it it was going to be quite difficult to try and get back on the trains going further south and then coming back up again and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't the easiest day for it to be happening either. But um yeah I mean I was disappointed as I was walking down the steps having because a lot of people had left before the the lap of uh, appreciation uh and as I was walking down the steps after it there were still lots of people leaving and I was thinking you're not gonna you know at that point those people would be nice if you would just kind of come and have a look but again you know it is what it is and we've got to keep working to improve it you know Arsenal get a lot of plaudits for their attendances but we've got to remember they've been at the top of the game now for many years so they've had a long time to be building that audience we're still at the start of that journey really and there's a lot more that we can do um, um and needs to be done and I think the club 
are not used to having to sell games. They they are, you know, the men's games sell themselves. So it's a different approach. There's a lot to be done, but we're we're still new at this. So I mean I think John's right that people did. There was about half the people had left by, you know, well, I think the the stadium was actually empty. It was full sold out, but it wasn't full for the men's game because people had decided not to come. There was uh, then it it half emptied, and then it managed. Then it slowly emptied a little bit more as you know time went on. And I think that you're right, Caroline. Like there wasn't a story. People were not told you have to be here. This game matters. This is why. This is the story of the women's game. But that's because the story of the women's game this season has been so negative that the club just hasn't been telling it as a proper story. So they do just sell these little clips and these moments that are disconnected and we don't get that proper sort of understanding of what's going on. And they're not selling the football or the stories of the football. And when they start doing that, it'll be better. But they also will start doing that when the football is better. And so those two things are connected and that's why I'm saying the best thing about the, what happened was us winning and playing well. That was like the massive advert. And until we start doing that in these games more often, it's so much harder to sell. Yeah, I think there's something in that. I think like it shouldn't, it almost like, to me, I'm like, these are solvable problems. Like I look at a club like like Gotham and the NWSL who like barely won a game last season. Like they actually may not have, I can't even remember. Um, They were still filling their stadium more than we were like all season. And what's more is that stadium is an hour and a half or two outside of New York city by train. And people are still making that trip out every week to see their team lose. And uh, so it's possible. It like the fruit is there. And I think like there are a lot of lessons like all over the world to learn about like, like how to, how to sell the story of your team, how to make people not care that there's like things going on with the trains and they still want to get to the game anyway, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I I don't know, but how many teams are there local for Gotham? Because I think that's a big problem. We've got Chelsea and Arsenal right down the road who are hugely successful teams. And that is a big part of our problem. But it's also like we were selling this game ostensibly to Spurs men fans. And the real problem there is that Spurs men's fans are really pissed off at the moment. And like trying, you know, I've been a supporter of Spurs like my life pretty much. And at the moment, the kind of the ways that fans are interacting with the club are so screwed up. That like surprising to me that people are not open to thinking about supporting a team, another part of the club that they haven't got behind before. Well, I do think this is where we have to kind of ask hard questions of our fan base in terms of why are they not getting behind the women's team the way that, say, Chelsea and Arsenal men's fans have gotten behind their women's team. And I don't think it all comes down to like how long they've been successful in the game. You know, I think I think we've got to be honest about the fact that, frankly, the club just doesn't try that hard (laughs) to convert fans of the men's team. And I mean, that's just the honest way that I see it. I hate to be so brutal about it. This is not just about Spurs, but about like WSL journalists in general. I think what was so drastic to me, I saw someone tweet about something endearing Millie Bright was yelling in the press box um, during Chelsea's game. And it just struck me in that moment that nobody, not Spurs, not the journalist, just like maybe sometimes us and we don't get paid to do it. So like, it's hard for us, like is tweeting endearing things about Spurs fans. Like they're Spurs players. Most of the 
most of the media out there just treats them as if they're like little bits in a simulation. And I know those things are happening because a friend of mine online, like messaged the group to tell us that like, you know, he could see Shalina going crazy for every goal we scored, even though she was on the bench the whole time and stuff like that. So it's not like it's not happening. It's just like the media is only humanizing some players. The club could be doing more. I think that that gets to my point. Like we can't count on so-called like free media because frankly, they don't want to acknowledge when we're successful either. Like we, we beat a team four one and all we've heard from, you know, the general WSL podcast is, well, their double header was embarrassing. Attendance sucked. You know, who cares about Tottenham? Like they're not going to talk about that things that we did well. So that's where the club has to be more proactive in, you know, promoting its own team and not counting on other people to do it, you know, including those of us who are really passionate about the team. Like we do what we can, but we're not getting paid to do it either. So we don't have the audience that the club does. So, you know, we can only do so much. And that's the thing is the club needs to support fan groups and other groups to tell those stories. And that's one of the things that other clubs have more successfully done sometimes you know, it's just there's a whole raft of things that the club could do better. That said, I do very much think that, you know, just not even winning lots of games, but just having a little bit more of an exciting up and down season can do it. So this game, you don't have to, you know, we don't have to win all of them, but having a season like we've had where you were just losing and losing and losing, given where the fan base is for the men's team, that was hard to sell. Now, I think that You know, once we start winning, not necessarily being as successful as Chelsea or Arsenal, it's a much easier story to sell. Well, and we've spoken as well, haven't we, about the focus on on children. And and we've been spotting uh, a lot lately that uh, all the photos that the club seems to take are of of kids with their adults. But there's always kids in the photos. And again, we've, we've spoken before about that change that needs to happen and that recognition that it's not just kids who go to women's football and that there's lots of us out there who enjoy it. So there's an awful lot that the club can do and I think needs to do. But as as Rachel says, I think, you know, performances will help. Bringing in players like Beth England helps. So there's a lot that does. We've just got to capitalise on that now. And I think we've got the perfect opportunity to do that with a, a fresh slate now. Hopefully next season things will be better. But, you know, this summer is going to be really interesting because what happens for both the men's and the women's teams in terms of managers and and things is going to make a big difference on how we approach that season and and where we're going to be able to be at. And it might, you know, it might kind of, one can hope, dispel some of the, the fans who are here for glory. If we can get back to a core, you know, the fans who kind of have a greater understanding of the highs and lows of, Tottenham Hotspur as a football club maybe we can bring some of those into the women's game but I also think that the women's game at Chelsea and Arsenal has a lot more fans who are just about the women's game so it's not necessarily about bringing the men's fans in it's about finding the fans who are maybe soft Spurs fans who can be brought into the women's game um, or people who can come into the women's game differently who are adults and, and want to do that not just who are people we can inspire for the future. I think these are things that we're going to return to. I think it's time for us to wrap this podcast up. We are going to finish with some quick predictions for next week's game uh, against West Ham. This one, there is, well, there is still something to play for. Win and we go to eighth and lose and West Ham stay at eighth. So we are playing for eighth place, which, you know what? That's a joy and a massive relief. 
And if we actually got that, it would, you know, be a nice final way to end the season um, by going ahead west of West Ham. So do we think we're going to do it? Well, the way West Ham have been playing lately, I think we've got every chance of doing it. Um, it seems like the, there seems to be a feeling within the squad that the pressure is off us now. And I think just by scoring a couple of goals, that kind of came. So maybe that was part of us doing well, feeling like the pressure was alleviating Um I think we can definitely do it. And I, I really hope that we do go into this game with the joy of the end of the season, not and the kind of but the the thought of let's let's build. We've we've got one win, let's get another win under our belts before we disperse and whatever happens in the summer happens. Uh, I'm sure Vicky will be wanting to go out on a on a win. So yeah, I'm I'm hopeful when as we say West Ham haven't been playing great. They did beat Leicester, but I think that was more to, down to Leicester not turning up than the West Ham suddenly being a lot better. So, yes, score prediction. 3-1 Spurs. Okay. Caroline? Uh, Well, I'm just tired of us dropping points to this West Ham team. And honestly, this is one of our, like, you know, quote-unquote derby matches that I think is actually, like, the most intense (laughs) um, in terms of actual being being competitive. So I think we're going to get the win. We've got all the momentum on our side. And frankly, West Ham, you know, they were just as bad of a losing streak as we did. And the only reason they have scored goals at all this season seems to be through sheer good luck. Uh, So I think it's going to run out for them finally. And we're going to actually get a clean sheet. So I'm going to predict, I'll say a 2-0 win to us. And I agree with you about West Ham. You know, they won that last game with a... um, an own goal and a penalty. So I think they had one shot on target and they still won where they still got two goals. That luck's running out. I'm saying six nil. I reckon we're going to have a really fun final day of the season and we're going to get that eighth place with a plum. I want to see all the players strutting at the final whistle. (laughs) Yeah. I want to have a collective strut and then I want them all to go and shout in Kate Longhurst's face just as a memory. Well, we can but dream, can't we? We can do. Okay, so I think that's the end of this week's podcast. If you want to find us and contact us, you can find us at N17Women on Twitter. Otherwise, that's it for today. And come on, you Spurs. 